It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with my man Rick Brewing. As always, it's brought to you by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. We touch on local topics, national topics, sometimes ghost stories at the end where I'm starting to hear them more and more in my house. They're, they're, they're coming to get me. I can feel it. Um, and also occasionally an off the wall story, which we may have at the end of this podcast. So you may want to stick around for that. All right, Rick, hit us up. Uh, skinny. It's going to be a lot of basketball talk in this edition, but first we're going to start with the Reds who are off to a one and three start as of Wednesday morning. When we're recording this, we found out on Monday that top pitching prospect Hunter Green needs Tommy John surgery. The team announced a record low attendance of 7,800 for Monday's game against the Brewers. And, uh, is there any reason at this point, for Reds fans to be optimistic or positive about the way this season has started? Luis Castillo was pretty good on opening day. He was. He was very good on opening day. So there's that. Um, and Luis Castillo was pretty good on opening yeah, day. And, and the weather it. on opening day was nice. And the crowd on opening day was nice. W- w- right? Should Reds fans be be satisfied that they traded a great opening day with a win and beautiful weather and this. for three crappy ones? <laughs> De- weather and yes. performance. Yeah, he got rained out on Saturday, then two cold days and, and no crowds. Look, um... Obviously, the fact. Well, let's touch on the let's touch on the 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 crowds first. The fact that you're less than eight thousand the last couple of nights. I get it. It's been cold. It's ugly. It's that time of year. Schools in. Uh, uh, t- schools are on spring break, so people have left. I'm not trying to make excuses, but there are factors. But usually, those crowds have been around ten thousand or so because that's the announced crowds, which means that's their usual season ticket base. This will tell you point blank their season ticket base is minuscule. Took a hit. Took a huge hit. Well, and it makes a little more sense now while we saw some of the offseason moves we No did, doubt. Doesn't it? I mean, you're looking at probably a season ticket base of about 7,500, maybe 7,700 yeah. with 99 walk-up. I was going to say, you know what I think it, it amounted to? About 7,799. 7, yeah, that's probably Because if you right. saw pictures from that game, there weren't more no, than no, no, 10 no. people no. in those stands. No, there, there were not. Um, I, you know, it was interesting because opening day, there was a lot of optimism around it because of the offseason moves. It was a nice day. Um, you know, sitting in the press box and they, and they do <coughs> excuse me, open the windows, the roar in the in on the Dietrich home run was was really kind of shocking because you haven't heard that in the ballpark. The roar in the ninth inning as they got through that in the final out was almost playoff like, and I thought, oh wow, I think maybe these fans are really buying into this, and I I get this. Um, I, I the, the thing is, if you want to capture them for the summer, you better have a good April and May. If you want to capture them for the June, July, and the part of August before people get back in school, you better get them these these two months. Um, look, I, whether they would have gone three and one, I wasn't going to tell you they were going to be a World Series team, and the fact they're one and three doesn't do anything to me. You got guys who are going to hit who are not hitting. Um, Rizel Iglesias has not pitched well in his two outings. Uh, you, you've Jared Hughes did not pitch well in the in the, uh, in the in the Pittsburgh game. Some guys that have done it before that I can trust. I, look, when you got a lot of young guys, I'm not sure I can trust, but you got some proven guys who just aren't hitting right now and, and for the most part aren't pitching. The starters have been okay um, other than Sonny Gray. I mean, Tanner Roark, I thought, pitched pretty well other than the first inning, got through almost five and pitched really well after the first. Di Scalfani was great. Castillo was great. You keep giving me those outings and get me a better Sonny Gray. I don't even need a great Sonny Gray. Just give me a better Sonny Gray. They're going to be all right. They're going to be okay. I know you're, you're looking at me like I'm nuts. Well, it, it's all doom and gloom right now from the fan base already, right? We're sure. four games in. People are freaking out. But at the same time, as you mentioned, these these games matter for this franchise right yes. now because you need to captivate this 
this fan base in these first two months. And these games do count. So while you can say, yes, it's early. Soccer and team's it, getting 25000 and 30000 man. And it's way too, way too soon to start making any judgments about this team. That's all true. But at the same time, it's not unreasonable to start looking around if they get to 1-6, 1-7, 1-8, and start being like, what the hell's going on? Right. Because no one's going to care about this team if, in a month. No, you're if, right. If it continues down that path. And really, I mean, yes, there are some injuries. Um, it, there are new pieces. But people aren't going to listen to excuses. And the fact that, you know, I agree. The, the, the season ticket base is obviously down, your, your attendance is already going to be lower than expected. So it could be a really interesting next three to four weeks here, I think, for this franchise. Yeah, and then the kick in the, in the in the gut is the Hunter Green news. I mean... I mean, just a terrible start for the top prospects of this organization. Yeah. Look, he, he's young enough. Um, he wasn't probably going to pitch this summer anyway, and I know Dick Williams made a point that if they'd have gone ahead and done the surgery last year, it really doesn't change the timetable a whole lot. They were hoping he could heal. It didn't heal. Um, he won't be the first guy to come back from Tommy John surgery better than ever. Um, hopefully that's the case, but boy, it's just, it's, it's a, it is a punch in the gut because I think we were looking forward to seeing this guy in, in, in not this year and probably not next, but close to it. And now it's probably pushed the timetable down the road a little bit. And now you're holding your breath that, Hey, he's had Tommy John surgery. How long is this going to last? Again, for a lot of guys, they have a lot of guys feels like havoc and come back better than ever today in baseball. So maybe he can be one of those guys. The, the thing for me, you're right. It's not, this doesn't really affect the immediate future of this team but why it bothers me so much is because basically since Cueto left I guess we've kind of been looking okay who's going to be that number one for this team who's going to be that ace we keep setting our sights on different guys and it felt like they haven't developed anybody none of them have developed and at this point it feels like Hunter Green was that next guy in line and he seems like he has a ton of talent I was really excited about him well now this happens and it's like Regard, you're right. Guys have come back from this injury. It's it's certainly not um, something that's going to prohibit you from reaching your potential at this point because of the way modern medicine is. But at the same time, it puts a a major shadow and a major question mark on his future. So I think if you're a Reds fan who were, was thinking that might be the next ace of this franchise. You're certainly questioning that now. Well, maybe he can eventually just become the hitter that he was in high school, right? Because he was a position uh, player too. That that they he was drafted initially as much for his bat as he was for his arm. An athletic dude, for yep. sure. So maybe maybe this just forces his hand in their hand a little bit. Maybe he can just turn into uh, another Michael Lorenzen. Um, I like Mike. I do like Mike. I think they're asking Mike to do a lot. We're gonna we're gonna probably table Mike for a podcast, but we'll, yeah, we'll talk I think about he's going to be a subject of conversation real soon. Here. Yeah, I know you're not a big fan of Mike's. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of him, but there are some concerns about what he's doing in high leverage situations as we saw Tuesday night. Yeah, that's that's a legitimate question. That's uh, a legitimate question. All, all right. right, Skinny, let's take a look at the the Bengals. Sportsbook operator CG Technology released NFL win totals for all 32 teams on Sunday. Cleveland and Pittsburgh each open at 9 wins, the Ravens at 8.5 wins, and the Bengals at 6. The Patriots have the highest win total at 11, followed by the Chiefs, Rams, and Saints at 10.5. Are you surprised by the gap in expectations for the Bengals and the rest of the division? No, because I don't think it's that big of a gap. I mean, if if I mean, if, if Cle- yeah, but if Cleveland or Pittsburgh or someone of those was eleven and the Bengals were six, that's a big gap, dude. But I mean, but you're, you're talking you're, about right now. Right now, they're basically projecting the division winner in this division to only be a nine and seven team. Right, but they're also saying they think basically all three of the teams except for the Bengals are, are a 9-7 team, yeah, right. and the Bengals are a losing... Yeah, the, you know. the, the one thing I would say I, I guess I don't get is this was a six-win team last year with all those injuries and, and all those issues, and 
I don't think they've gotten worse. Now, you can argue whether they've gotten markedly better, but you get some of those guys back from injury. Again, they were a six-win team with all of that. Well, that's what I'm asking you. So are you surprised that no, they're now projected no, to I, win I'm six not, games again Again, this is, a, this is a projection that lets you bet, for those that don't know, you can bet if you think the Bengals will win more than six games, or you can make a bet whether you think the Bengals will win less than six games. That's what these win totals are, are set for. Um, I, I think from, from that outside perspective, if you're making that bet on the Bengals, I think it would be hard to bet the over. But I also think it would be hard to bet the under. I think they've probably nailed a number that, that may not fluctuate it a whole lot. Six and a half or seven might have made you go under. Five and a half may, may have made you think about betting over. Um, six feels awful low to me. Like six feels like they're wanting they're go, you to bet the over. They're, there. they're basically going on last year's record, right? Right. And and for the reasons you just brought up, the and if fact you look, that I mean, there are a lot of injuries. Yeah, well, what was Baltimore? Nine and nine, six and one, I think, something along those lines. Nine and seven. No, Pittsburgh was nine, six and one. Uh, Baltimore was made the playoffs at ten and six, and Cleveland ended up being eight and eight, I believe, or seven and nine, and could have gotten that if they beat Baltimore that last game. So I, I think you've seen. There's no doubt Cleveland's made moves in the offseason that's moved their needle a little bit. Pittsburgh let two guys go that moved their needle the other way. And Are Baltimore you, is about where I think Baltimore. I didn't think Baltimore was a 10-win team last year. They got there, so they did it. But I, I didn't think they were a good team. Well, what about Pittsburgh, though? Are you surprised they're still at nine wins? A little despite, a little bit. I mean, they've got a lot to prove. and I, I But think they still be, have a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. They do, and I think they— They'll be better than people expect because there's going to be this major chip on their shoulder. I think there is. They they they've they've got some not just you know making up for Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell. Let's face it, they played with Le'Veon Bell last year and won nine games. Now they did have Antonio yep. Brown to win those nine games. Uh, their, their improvement needs to be on defense for sure. I mean that that's where in the draft if they can go get a linebacker that can replace. I mean they they miss Ryan. She's it here does bad. They haven't done much this offseason no, right. to shore, shore up that defense. Right. So they are really relying on the draft. I'm just surprised these totals came out before the draft. So we have no idea. They they, but they came be, out right after free agency though. Right, but these could be adjusted after the draft. But to this point, I'm a little surprised. You sound surprised. I, well, yeah, why, why are you? I'm a little surprised the Steelers are at nine wins. Okay. I just, I just, the that Steel- surprises you more than the Bengals being at six. Yes, I think six is a little low for the Bengals. The, the funny thing about this is I think I'm lower on the Bengals than you are going into this year. I'm just, Yet I think six sounds a little low for them. You seem to think it's in line. Well, I think it's in line if you're looking to try to get a betting number. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's close to if you want to get a wager. I still think you'd set it one way or the See, other I to feel get like some it, action. I feel like seven or seven and a half would have been more in line with my expectations for what Vegas would have put yeah, out for this team. And the only reason I say that is, is you played a chunk of last year without your starting quarterback, a good chunk, and they didn't win without him. You played a good chunk of the season, or at least a chunk of the season, without your best wide receiver. Well, what was your argument for Bobby Hart last week? They started 4-1 and one with them, right? They did. Right, so this team, when they were healthy, was 4-1. and one. I'm a little surprised that 6 is the win total, and especially the oh, fact— I, If you were going to ask me today if I'd bet over or under, I think I'd bet the over. I would, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I the, the, the surprising part to me is the discrepancy— between the other them three? and the other three, I don't see that type of separation. Well, I think I think again, you're you're kind of also basing this a little bit on last year, to where that's what fans are going to look at. And Pittsburgh was a nine win team, and Baltimore was a ten win team, and Cleveland was on the rise at the end of the year, making a bunch of moves in the off season. So I can see you kind of trying to set them all at about the same. And the Bengals were a six win team, so that's where you set them. Again, it sounds like they would draw your action for all these teams, though, right? It sounds like they're, they're gonna, you, you, you'd play some action off of this. Um, I don't know that I'd, I'd want to bet on the other teams. I'm just a little surprised. Again, again, I mean, the, the gap the, between them and the Steelers, I'm surprised. Yeah, the Patriots were the highest at 11. I mean, is that about right? Is that yeah. low? Is that No, I think that sounds about right. I, 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 what were the Rams? What, 10, 10 and, and a half? half. Yeah. Saints were 10 Saints and a half. 10 and a half. Chiefs, 10 and a half. 
Sounds low for the lat for the Saints Saints and the Rams. Sounds low. Chiefs sounds about right based on losing maybe losing Tyreek Hill yeah, too. Yeah, anytime you get up into double digits, it starts feeling like a lot of wins to me in it, the NFL. It, it does. I just don't want to bet that because all it takes is one key injury, then you're dead. Yeah, I mean, or I don't know two what, bad I, weeks. I don't know what the 49ers was last year, but as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo went down, if you had the over, you were dead. It could have been five and a, you were dead. You were done. Yeah, and and, and and like just a bad two weeks can completely throw you off the chance of getting that yeah. like double digit yeah. win season. So I don't. So, I don't see it. So if you're, and by the way, CG Technology runs actually some uh, some sports books around Vegas, and I guess they that's they may have an I think they have an online component as well. Um, so if you're going to Vegas anytime soon, and you see that number at six, and you think it's low, get yourself an over over bet. There you go. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears and go to college basketball, where we'll spend some time today. Yes, we will. UCLA reportedly offered UK head coach John Calipari a contract worth forty eight million dollars over six years. However, Calipari turned the Bruins down and instead agreed to a lifetime contract with Kentucky on Monday. The extension includes a 10-year term as a coach as well as a promise to serve as a paid ambassador for the school after Calipari's retirement. Calipari was already the highest paid coach in the country, making $9.2 million this year, according to USA Today. What do you make of Calipari getting a lifetime contract from Kentucky? What's it actually mean for UK and Cal? Let me ask you this, though. If you're UCLA, and yeah, you, if you go to USA Today, he 9.2 is, is what he makes. It's not his base salary, but that's what he makes with everything. If you're UCLA, don't you think you need to match that deal or up it? Um, Am I wrong? First of all... <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm going to ask you to take less to come here in a state that's going to cost you more in taxes, too? Nearly twice as much living costs? I mean, like, I know they do some things to offset that, but like... Come on. You're making $9 million in Lexington. Correct. That goes a long, it goes a long, long way. way. Or you can be making less than that in California. Yeah, I, that's the one. That's the, the part that makes... I, like, what are you doing, UCLA? And what, who what do you think you are? did you think that was going to work? Yeah. You don't have I mean, Sam Gilbert's not alive still, guys. And granted, I know the, the, the details of this got leaked and went out there because Cal and his agent right. in Kentucky wanted it out there when they signed with this lifetime contract and wanted to embarrass UCLA. And they certainly did, in my no opinion. No doubt. But... This is just a bad look for UCLA to even make this off. Terrible look. Because you knew you weren't going to get Cal, and the chances that it were going to get out were very good because of who Cal is. Initially, people hear he was offered $50 million, and you go, wait a minute, do the math. $50 million divided by six is $8 million. He's making it. It's less. It's right. less. And it's right. going less in, in that state. And the problem is a realistic... Unless he got movie rights to the, to the movie Cal. I mean, what? <laughs> Coach Cal. I mean, what? really, what are you doing? The realistic options for them... We're so far out of line with landing a guy like Cal that really that information getting out there made them look terrible. Correct. Now, as for the lifetime contract, uh, okay, good for good for I. I, I mean, it, it it doesn't mean a ton because you can still. I'm sure there's a buyout in there somewhere if somebody came calling and offered more money. Um, I think this is just a this is this is his ego getting pumped up to the nth degree and good for him if they, if that's what that's what they want good for them I I'm not a big fan I've never been a big fan um, I'm going to not be a big fan and uh, good luck to him and his one year mercenaries I wish you well well I, I think there's always kind of been this thing with Cal of maybe you know like he's not a hundred he's not there for the long haul necessarily those players there, aren't he could always be attracted by some other opportunity sure. and and a big market but, but and, it, it would take a lot of money I mean, Kentucky pays you obviously. Tons very, very and well. tons of money. Um, I think the NBA thing was always the bigger concern with Cal, and I don't think this. I think for, you're. I think you're at the stage for him now at age sixty, going on to. I, I don't see that coming down the pike. Any. I don't soon. think it's probably going to happen. And this this contract 
it, it makes it clear that he's never going to take another college job. Right. I think I think that's very much the case now. And I, always, I always thought that was the case, though. I, I do I, too. I, I never, I thought, I never I thought believed he otherwise. I did too. Um, as for the NBA thing, I think it's him trying to make it clear he's not going to the NBA now. If something weird happens with like LeBron in the next couple of years or something, and and he decides, you know, LeBron wielding the power that he has as an NBA GM, essentially, if he decides like Cal's my guy and Cal decides it's time for me, maybe that relationship works out at some point. But people have been talking about that for years, and it doesn't even seem close to happening. So, so, I mean, so as, as a paid ambassador for the university, when he goes around maybe speaking around the state to students at schools, is he going to invite them to come just for one year and then they can leave and go to another school? <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm just wondering. I about think that. he'll tell them to do what's right for the team while the season is going on, and then after it's over, it becomes about them, and they make the best professional decision for them. Gotcha. So, I think so, that's so, the so come get your, get your get your thirty hours of credit, and then go somewhere else and do what's best for you. Is that how yeah, that works? Well, I mean, depending on what they do okay. and what their career options are. Okay. Um, I so from a recruiting standpoint, though, I think the idea of this was to try to take the idea that he's leaving off the table. Yeah, but I, I, do you think recruits ever bought that? Because again, this, for I, most, honestly, for most of these guys, it is a one-year it proposition. It was loud. I don't know if you saw um, like Khalil Whitney um, tweeted out the fact that maybe you guys will stop making comments about him leaving now or something like that. So I think these guys do hear it, whether it's realistic or not. They hear it a lot. Now at least they have some ammunition to fire back with, like, hey, he signed a lifetime contract. Does it make actual sense to logical human beings? No. But in the recruiting world... Not a lot makes sense. Logically. Yeah, but but I go back to for a lot of these guys, and I poke fun at it. But in all seriousness, a lot of these guys are one year guys, right? So I mean, it's kind of a one year proposition anyway, right. With him, so it's not like you're. It's not like for a lot of these guys where you need that rollover and the extension of a four and five year constant deal of I'll be no, here all four right. of your years. It's for him. You usually know when he's in the recruiting process, is he going to be there the next year? Right, right. But you're also talking about guys that are highly recruited that you know are top prospects. Two years, three years out. Well, so it's it's sort of that situation where you know if they're being told as a junior or a sophomore when they're making a decision that Cal won't be there in two years, then it helps them a little. Now, granted, I don't they, think they, this is a big deal. Yeah, you're tied to recruiting way more than I am. But um, for a guy like Penny Hardway in the Memphis AAU scene, which is a good AAU scene, obviously, um, he's starting to get some inroads. I mean, maybe does does, does something like this help? Stop that. I mean, has it been to the point where Cal isn't quite getting the main guy? I mean, he didn't last year. Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish all went to Duke. Um, so Coach K, in a way, is outdoing the master at the one-and-done deal. Um, you know, he doesn't, if you look at this roster, he doesn't have high-level NBA talent. He's got some guys, but not like, we're not talking top two, three, four picks right now. And he's had those guys. Right. Is he slipping in that regard, and does this maybe help stop the slide? I don't know that this helps stop that slide. Well, here's the question. Does that slide continue, or is this just a little bit of a, hey, you lost out on heat these guys, but you still got enough guys to get you to an Elite Eight? Yeah, I don't know that it's ever been a slide. I think he's always been kind of number one or number two. You're not going to be number one every year, and I think it's hard to be number one every year because kids kind of want to do their own thing, right? If like the guys right before you decided, we're going to make our run at UK, and we're going to be the guys at UK, well, the guys in the next class might decide, well, we're going to be the guys that go to Duke or Carolina. You know what I mean? I, like, I think there's a but little it, bit it, of in, wanting to pave your own. At least one play. of the top five is going to Memphis. Or t- aren't two of them? Yeah. Well, yeah. Penny's doing a go- look. There's other factors involved here, and and Penny Hardaway obviously has a pretty pretty good sales pitch, being who he is Correct. as the head coach at Memphis. So, um, yeah, I th- we're getting too far down the recruiting rabbit hole because I don't think this affects recruiting a lot. But I think in terms of what this actually does for UK, it doesn't do much. I think it I gives don't you, think it does either. I think it gives you a little boost on the recruiting trail. 
I think it guarantees that Cal will stick around a little bit, or doesn't guarantee. And it shows that we're the blue blood of blue bloods, right? We can lock a guy up for his life. Right. I think it was more just a PR thing more than anything else. I um, And I think it was also to the fan base a very clear, like, shut up, zip it. He's doing great here. All right. Now, the next question for you is how long does he coach? I think he coaches. Does he coach till he's 70? I think it's going to depend on how successful he is, to be honest. I mean, to his credit, he still looks good. I mean, he's you know he's got a little paunch like a lot of 60-year-old men do. He still looks like he's got all kinds of energy. I think he's got another five to seven years in him for sure. Yeah, that's about that sounds about the right window to um, me. But I think, it, I think how, you know, is he closer to that five-year window or is he closer to seven to ten? Depends on what type of success. You know, does it continue to be he does makes he need sweet coaching? 16s and elite 8s? Does he need coaching? Because some guys, I mean, look. No, I, well. I, I think a lot, There's there, there are guys. I think I mean, he kind of does. I'm 55. I, I can see my coach myself still coaching when I'm 70. I, I really could. I, I can do it because I, I love it. I think Cal kind of does. He's mentioned how crazy the UK job is and the fact that he won't be able to do it until he's, I don't know what age he's thrown out there, but 70 or whatever it is. He's mentioned it a few times that he doesn't seem to do it forever. It gives you something to do. But I do think he is a guy who he's ate up with it. Like, I don't yes. think he can just leave the game. And that's why I think the ambassador role was a part of this because I think he does want to stick around. And I think he does like this role with UK basketball. Right, so. Let's say he stays for seven more years. Does he win another national title? I think he does. Yeah. Okay. So you do, do you wait? Do you think this is a bad deal for UK to lock him up because of his I, lack of success? I, I you wrote the column this week. Well, I wrote I wrote the column that I, I I and I just compared it to Tubby Smith, who I thought was extremely underappreciated in his time as Kentucky's basketball. I think coach. that's your better point, though. I think that's where you need to go with that argument. Probably. Is that Tubby was underappreciated for what he did, not that Cal hasn't done what he set out to do. I, I think the, the initial thought from Kentucky fans, and I'm speaking for the fan base, and I shouldn't do that, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it anyway, was when he got hired and, and the talent level that he was going to bring in and the talent level that he's brought in, he's done that, that it was going to get you more than one national championship in 10 years. I think that was the expectation. I mean, I think that's it. And if you didn't have that expectation, I'm shocked. I am. I'd be stunned if you didn't have a higher expectation. Well, I don't have that. I don't have that expectation. I'm not about you. For I'm just talking about the fan base in general. Though. Like, I mean, that's such a that's such a weird expectation. Who else has done that? You know, I mean, Duke, Villanova. Yeah. So, but I, that's why I guess, and you're right. Maybe the argument was better that Tubby was underappreciated. Yeah, and I think because, that's a valid what, point. Because what, what Tubby Smith did wasn't enough, and I'll have people tell me, "Well, he only got to the Sweet 16." Well, okay, so Cal only got to the Elite Eight. Well, wait a minute. Cal got to the Final Four. Well, Tubby got to the Elite Eight, too. And so every time, he, so basically, Cal went one more rung on the ladder a few more times in the NCAA tournament than Tubby did. And at the end of the day, if you measure it by the ultimate goal, which is a national, that's the ultimate goal. They each have one. Cal's got a handful more wins against a much easier schedule. I'm just telling you, go back and look at non-conference Tubby schedules against I, non-conference Cal schedules. And the SEC back then was better. I'm just telling I you, I covered say, it. It was I, better. I will say, I argued with that point on Sunday night during our college basketball podcast. I went back. I looked at the metrics, um, RPI, that. the Ken Palm. You were right. I was I was skewing the Billy G era along yeah. with the Tubby era. And, 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 was, and, and this year in the SEC, and I think maybe that was where we got off rails. This year in the SEC, I'm not going to. This year in the SEC was great. It was great. It was great. No, but, no doubt. But for a lot of Cal tenure it's it hasn't been, been. it's been the fourth or fifth ish yeah. conference and, yeah. and the billy g era was fifth to Correct. six Correct. i think it was an unmitigated disaster yeah um so I, I here's the thing with when it comes to tubby or cal i agree with you that tubby was underappreciated at uk i think there are a few reasons why cal what cal's done is better one the fact that just 
the things you named, he's done more in the tournament. I know you're saying well, he's, that... He's, just, and he is. I, I, I can't... His consistency in the tournament, yes. where he's gone in the tournament, has been more impressive than what Tubby did. Now, granted, it didn't equate to more national titles than Tubby. Now, I think the argument is... Tubby did his that first year when he got in there with a Rick roster. And after that, his big, the thing that was really holding him back the most was he never seemed like he had the talent. He seemed like he was a good enough coach. He didn't seem like he had the talent to win. And it makes no sense to be at a school like UK where you can recruit the best players in the country and to consistently not do so. I think that was everyone's problem with Tubby. Cal at least gives you the upside of if everything works out, you have the best players in the country and an opportunity to win the championship every single year. Tubby wasn't giving that opportunity because his players didn't have that type of upside, and I think that's probably what bothered th- people in Lexington, and rightfully so. But I go back, though. You've got more talent. You've not done a whole lot more with it. And that's fair. <laughs> that's a fair point in terms of the national championship. And, and please, don't give me they're young. I know you're not going to. That's your that's your problem. That's your decision. Right. You made that decision as a coach. Right, but, I, but again, I uh, he, he's... The whole thing about them being young, well, yeah, but he's won at a level that no other coach in college basketball has won at over the last 10 years. No question. He's number he's one averaging, in every he's, statistic. He's, he's averaging 30 wins a year. He's gone to, gone further across the board. I, I'm not I'm not discounting that. Maybe my argument was the wrong one. It should have been more Tubby was underappreciated rather than Cal's underachieved. That's probably a fair thing to say. I don't disagree with that, but I also would say Cal has done better than Tubby has done at yes. UK. Yes, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't deny that part. I'm just telling you, if you look at what the ultimate goal is, right, that's what Kentucky measures itself by because now they're look they've got final four records they've got ncaa tournament win records they've got all-time win records you're still chasing ucla right you're chasing the last really the only thing that you don't have which is most national championships yeah and i know it is a crapshoot i i even wrote that in the piece i get it winning a national title is freaking hard it's really hard yeah i just think i mean auburn could be sitting at home today after the first round game with new mexico state and yet here they are playing the final weekend of the year as much as UK fans say that, like, oh, we measure our expectations are measured in national championships and all that, they live and die with every single game. That's fair. I don't buy that. That they they are miserable if they're having up and down seasons and then make a run in the NCAA tournament. They want consistency. They want to make sure that you're in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight every year. They want to win a ton of games during oh, the regular season. Probably one of the most fun years was the year that they were inconsistent and made a run. I mean, under Cal, right? Yeah, that yeah. probably was the most fun year. Well, that that's true. But I I I. I UK fans all have crazy expectations. There's no question about that. But I still think it's unreasonable to say in any way, shape, or form that Cal has not met expectations as the head coach at Kentucky. Right. If he doesn't win a national title in the next seven years, let's say he coaches seven more years. Let's just throw that arbitrary number out there. If he doesn't win a national championship, will he still be considered a major success at Kentucky? Not a success. He's a success. I'm not. I, I, I even said. I said. I in the piece I wrote. I said I'd be foolish to say he's done a bad job. That's 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 crazy talk. I'm not saying he's done a bad job. I'm just. I, I'm just saying to some degree there's been underachievement. Here's where here's where I think the argument is greatest for where he's underachieved. His best team, the team that almost went undefeated, didn't win the national yeah. title. If that yeah. team wins it, there's no argument to be made. Oh, because it's has, arguably the greatest team of all time. It finishes 40-0 and wins a national title. Well, and you also have two titles. Yes. It, 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 yes. it erases all that argument. So that is where I think UK, UK fans who want to say he hasn't quite done enough, that's where the legitimate gripe comes in. I don't know that there's another team that you can really point to that says he he needed to win that. I don't one. know that, that that John Wall team was pretty freaking good. I mean, yeah, John Wall, but it was his had, first you had an year. NBA man. backcourt and an NBA but, star center, and but, Patrick Patterson was a really good college player. It was older. Yeah, but that, that was a good team. Yeah, but, but that team was. 
honestly similar to this year's Duke team. Maybe not quite yeah, as transcendent yeah. with its talent. I mean, you remember but, almost lost the opener to Miami that year. But it wasn't put together well. And, and, and a lot of that I don't put on Cal because he got there late in the process. He had to just say, what can I get? He yeah. went out and got incredible talent. Got some dudes problem is, he didn't have a guy who could shoot. And you yes. could just zone them. And that's what they came across a, a West Virginia team that had, what, three NBA guys yep. on it at yep. least. And they zoned them. And then that's how they lost the game. Yep. That's what the NCAA tournament is. Yep. You know, well, so. That's fair. All right. Skitty, Duke had the number one recruiting class coming into this year and was ranked number four overall in the preseason. Kentucky had the number two recruiting class and was ranked number two in the preseason. Both teams lost in the Elite Eight. Which team's Elite Eight exit was more disappointing, Kentucky's or Duke's? Well, I think Duke's. I mean, because Duke felt like all year they were clearly the best team, and then the gap was huge to number two. Uh, you had you had you had arguably well, arguably the top two draft picks, right? I, I don't know if they will be, but arguably you have the top two draft picks. I mean, I don't think Cam Reddish is going to be the third, but he's going to be yeah. somewhere high. And I think RJ has been clearly passed up by John Moran at this yeah, point yeah, in most yeah, people's yeah, mind. Yeah, but still, yeah. you're right. I mean, he's a lottery he's in that, pick. He's in, that, he's in that group. Um, and you had the the next Michael Jordan, LeBron transcendent talent. You had that guy. Um, and we never know what LeBron would have done in college, but Michael did win a national championship, although he won it as a freshman and didn't win it after that. But still, he, he got it done. I, I For sure, in my opinion, as much as I made this argument about Kentucky and Cal underachieving overall, I, no doubt Duke. I mean, that, that, they, were, they were clearly, during the season, when Zion was healthy, the best team bar none. And so for them, and the thing is, the thing that made it more disappointing was Getting by the skin of your teeth in round two, skin of your teeth in Sweet 16, it felt like at that stage, all right, th- this just has to be the year for these guys. And then to lose a close one in the Elite Eight, I, I, to me it's Duke. It's not, even, it's not even debatable. Having a transcendent talent like Zion is where it really sets it apart for me, where clearly it's more disappointing for them because you had that type of guy. You had that Carmelo in college type talent. Right. That, you know, what LeBron may have been in town. Ta- you have that guy where you think him alone can lead you to a, a title. Not to mention, you had the number one, number two, and number three prospects in the 2018 class all on your roster. Yeah, now, now Cam Reddish obviously showed he had some flaws in his game, but but, sure. still, but you still had that. You're and, right. And and I think this, this whole situation, when you talk about the flaws in his game, the flaws in constructing a roster, we saw that. You know, if you don't have shooters in 2019 at any level of basketball— it's going to be tough for and, you. And honestly, a break you down point guard. I, I'm telling you what, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going to find, I don't care if he's a, he's a five foot eight inch nobody. If you get me a break you down point guard, I, I watch, I watch Jared Harper and I watch Wall. I mean, those guys just, they kill you. They break you down and you, you can't keep him in front of you. If you can't keep that guy in front of you, you can do so much stuff offensively. It's obscene. And Trey Jones is a talented kid, but yeah, he but, wasn't ready. Right. It didn't seem to play at the level that this team needed to play Because you weren't play playing at. through him either, though, right? Right. I mean, Auburn, he plays, a tough role. Auburn plays through Jared Harper. I mean, he, he's the right. facilitator. He does everything for them. Not You know what I'm saying? I mean, he sets yes. everybody else and gets his at the same time. And you're playing through a guy in like an R.J. Barrett who's very ball-dominant, is, is kind of a tough right. guy to play alongside, I think, in terms of playing with a star. This team didn't seem all that well-constructed. But they also seem like they didn't click for for most of the second half of the season. Ball got, I think they got stuck a lot. They were at their best when they smoked Kentucky. Yes. early in the year, uh, one first week or two of the season. No, first game of the season. Oh yeah, that's right. How much how much blame do you put on Mike Shashevsky? Oh, this I, season? I think some, and I think some of it is also roster construction, I, and and which that, she's also responsible. And that's for where them. I go back, I, and I know I know 
Chad's made the argument on our college basketball podcast. Chad Brendel, you make the argument. You're taking the best players you can. It's silly not to, in theory. But in theory, in basketball, man, only I mean, you only have one ball. Um, I don't know if I need three superstars. I might need one or two and just guys who have a specific role around them, whether it's somebody's got to set the screen, somebody's got to do the dirty stuff, somebody's got to stand in the corner and be able to knock down a jump shot when transcendent talent goes to the rim and three people collapse on him. You look around, that's what the game is right now. It is drive and kick. And if you kick it out and that guy can't make a shot, I don't care how skilled he is athletically, how skilled he is at least as a talent, doesn't help you any. I don't care if he's sick. Look, you, hey, give me six, three, six, eleven guys. Okay, well, they probably are NBA talents and they're probably NBA bodies. But in today's college basketball and even today's NBA, if you can't make a kick out jump shot, I, I don't know where you play. It's really easy to take away what you want to do offensively if you can't spread the floor and hit yes. shots. I mean, we saw that with a lot of teams, but in this city, we saw it with Xavier all year long. It didn't matter how good Najee Marshall was at getting to the rim or Quentin Gooden or Paul Scruggs. If they weren't hitting shots on a given night from three, which they had a terrible shooting team, they didn't have a chance a lot of times. Yes. And I think Duke, you know, obviously their talent was so much greater, but they kind of fell in that same trap when they couldn't hit shots from the outside and loosen defenses up. It became a lot easier to guard them. The same thing happened to UK against uh, Auburn, no, I think. No doubt. You know, they, they finally, they couldn't the hit shots. The kickouts to quickly, the kickouts to Hagans, the kickouts to Hero, none of them made. And Auburn started packing it in, taking away the post-entry passes to P.J. Washington and Reed Travis, and the game changed no, on, you, on if that. You, if you, if you go to the Tennessee regular season game and, the, and the, even the Seton Hall regular season game. When teams single-covered P.J. Washington in the post or in the block or in the lane area, you had no chance. I don't care who you thought you had. You had no chance. And you're right. Auburn decided we're going to collapse on you. We're not going to let you make a move over your left shoulder, and you're not coming back over your right shoulder. We're just going to clog you up, and either you're going to take a forced tough shot or you're going to be forced to kick it out. Well, he kicked it out in the first half. Clang, clang, clang. Second half, he's like, yeah, I've done this enough already. I'm going to try to force my way through it. And he, he made some plays, but obviously didn't make enough. So, I, I, yeah, to me, though, I think I, I get why you take the talent. I do. I, I get it. I don't know if you need three of them or four of them or five of them or six of them just because he's 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", with an NBA body. If you want to tell me I'm going to take the 101st guy who all he can do is make a jump shot and I can cover him on the other end because it's the way the game is, I'll, I'll find a way to cover him. He maybe just doesn't help off of somebody. I think I'm going to have to take that guy. And it may make your recruiting class fifth or sixth and it may make the fan base wring their hands. I'm the coach, man. I'm putting the team together. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think to me, maybe it changes everybody's philosophy in recruiting. Skinny, the Los Angeles Times reported on Monday that TCU coach Jamie Dixon and Cincinnati coach Mick Cronin are the leading candidates for UCLA's head coaching vacancy. The Bruins spoke with John Calipari and reportedly missed on other top targets as well. UCLA's fan side website reported this morning, Wednesday as we're recording this, that Dixon and UCLA are now finalizing terms on a deal. That, you know, we don't know exactly how great those sources are. We're not certainly not ready to report that at this point, but it sounds like it could be trending in that direction. So I ask you this. If Dixon ends up at UCLA, do you think that means Mick Cronin is back at Cincinnati next season? I think it's a better chance, but there's two other jobs that are open, and one of them is I, – I, I know from people we've talked to that initially it didn't sound like he would take the Virginia Tech job, which is coming open because Buzz Williams is going to take the Texas A&M job. That's almost a done deal if it's not a done deal. Um, Kelvin Sampson turned Arkansas down. He's going to sign an extension at, at Houston for, what, six years and 18 mil, whatever. He's, signing, he's staying at Houston is the bottom line. Yeah. So the Arkansas job stays open. Um, so those are two major jobs, um, and, and Mick certainly I think would be at least in the running for those. 
the, the, the question would be, how much more can you see go up? And they've apparently upped the ante a little, but I don't think they've upped the ante an absolute boatload ton versus what can Virginia Tech offer, what can Arkansas offer. And I think Arkansas can offer a bunch. Um, I don't know if he's a great fit at Arkansas. I think he's a better fit at Virginia Tech for whatever reason, um, maybe just because he follows hard-nosed Buzz Williams. But um, as I sit here today, if the UCLA job doesn't come to fruition, I'll say, yes, he is UC's head coach because I don't think – I, I don't think he would be a fit in Arkansas, and for whatever reason, if, if it's true that he was never interested or never going to be interested in Virginia Tech, then that leads me to say yes. And I say it very tentatively because I I do think he's looking to get out. If he can get out, I re- I, I, I've, changed, I've done a 180 on that, and, and maybe it's the underappreciated. Maybe it's the fact that, look, do you see, maybe UC has just gotten to the point with him of, dude, I, we, I can't give you any more. I, I've, I've gone to the brink, and this is nobody's fault. It wouldn't be Mike Bone's fault. It's not mixed fault. If somebody offers more and you think that, hey, I can I can do some other things there and it, I'm going to set myself up even more down the line with financially, I'm, ne- I'm never going to begrudge anybody that that decision. Um, if you've gotten to that point and UC can do no more and another school can offer significantly more, then it's, it's hard. It's Unless you're completely wedded to being the head coach at UC for the rest of your life, I think it would be hard to say no to some of those offers. Everything runs its course. UCLA is different from these other jobs, right? I mean, UCLA, he should, everyone should want for the most part, unless you're at one of the blue bloods. It is a, a top 10 job without question. I think some of the their lack of spending has been blown out of proportion. It's kind of a, an older narrative that's still getting spun. If you look at the Under Armour money that's now coming into their athletics department, what they've spent on both football and basketball renovations, um, coaching hires recently, I, I think, I think they're willing to spend some money. I think there is some money there that that it's it's. But you talk about crazy expectations. I mean, Ben Howland went to three Final Fours in a row. It's crazy expectations. But here's the other part that I think makes this a top five job right now in college basketball. Ooh. A top Ooh. five job. Let me tell you. Let me All tell right. you the other part. The Pac-12 is awful. That's fair. So if you're talking about a school, you can walk into and by the way, five stars still commit to UCLA. No, no matter who their coach has been for the last. However many years you yeah, want to go back, dude. It's L.A. It's, it's cool unis. It's the it's the band. It's everything. You can yeah. get players without winning, without having a good coach. Imagine you get an, a little bump from from getting a new head coach in that you know maybe has a little bit of clout. Now I don't know that Jamie Dixon or Mick Cronin exactly give you a huge bump in recruiting, but maybe there's a little more excitement around the program. There usually is when a a blue sure. blood makes a new hire. So they get that new hire in. You get a, a five, an extra five star. Let's say you get two five stars in the same class now. All of a sudden, you've got a, a Steve Alford did a top ten class <laughs> in the country. You could win in your first year. Oh, that's right. If you're a good coach, I'm sorry, Steve Alford did, but yeah, you're right. If <laughs> yeah, you're, if you're a good coach. coach, you could win in your first year at UCLA. I can't think of anything that buys you more goodwill with a fan base and a little bit of a, a leash than winning right away with your own guy. I, I just think it's such an easy situation. I shouldn't say easy, but a a a good situation to yeah, walk into. I, I think the Arkansas situation is miserable. Really difficult. Miserable. Yeah. And, and so I mean, look at the coaches in this league now who you're going up against, who've got their programs now rolling. And that's, and that's where we really get into sort of the, the, what, what is Mick actually thinking? Right. Cause if he's, if he's thinking I'm going to take the UCLA job, that could mean he just wants the UCLA job. Cause it's one of the best jobs in college sure. basketball. If he wants the Arkansas job, I don't think he wants Virginia Tech from everything I've heard. I don't think he's going to pursue that one. But I don't. But again, let's just say Virginia Tech offers you 
say they offer three, and I don't know what they were paying paying Buzz. I really don't, so I'm doing this completely blind. But let's just say they offer you more, offer you a, a million dollars a year more. It still would be hard. Well, I, well, here's here's the thing: is it hard for him if he gets the? He doesn't have it to be Virginia Tech. Let's say it is Arkansas. Is it hard for him to turn that down? Because if it's hard for him to turn Arkansas down, then he wants out. And from what well, I've heard, but, but I think he does. I think he does too. But I'm, I go back to if you're UC and they he comes back and says, "Hey, they're going to offer me this," and you you say, "I can't go any higher." Here's the thing: if you can't go any higher now. What are you going to do six years from now? Seven years from now? You could argue maybe there's a new revenue stream. Maybe there's a new league shuffle. I ain't. I wouldn't bank on that. I wouldn't make book on that. So where's the new? Where, where's the revenue going to come from? I, I don't think they have an answer for that. I in don't the either. AAC. And that's no. And that, again, that's not Mike Bone's fault. That's not the university's fault. It just you eventually reach a point in whatever program you're in, and if you're not in a power five. You, eventually you just run against the wall of money and the wall of money stops and you can't give anymore. Yeah, and, and I think if... Is that where the appreciation factor is for him, you think, that it, it is money? Or is it I don't, Is it us? Is it fan base? See, is it, I, think on, I think on Sunday when we recorded, I was of the opinion that Mick... He had he had to decide is it is is UC doing all they can to keep me right. in spending or right. are they giving me the opportunity to go pursue my options because they don't they're not so sure if if I'm their guy I think uh, that uh, that was my opinion that he wanted to feel that love from UC after talking to more people through Sunday night after we got done recording and Monday and now it's this spilled over to Tuesday and Wednesday I, that's not what I'm hearing I'm hearing even if he doesn't get the UCLA job. He's likely to try for the Arkansas job. And then the LSU job is going to open up after the Final Four, and he's likely to try for that if he hasn't gotten another job. So if that is the case, and he just wants out, I don't know that it's even about... Like, that whole Mike DeCourcy article is the interesting part of this, right? Because it's clearly... They have such a close relationship. Mike clearly got some of those facts from Mick. No doubt. And Bone then went to the Enquirer and said it was a hatchet piece and was very um, sort of condescending towards it. So... He's he knows that information came from Mick, so they're battling a little bit now. This all of a sudden feels a lot more like that wasn't Mick leveraging for more money from UC. That was Mick pointing the finger on his way out. Well, it's them. They didn't do enough to keep me. Yeah, I also think it is leveraging a little bit because you're trying to get some more money, and maybe oh, yeah, maybe it was the whole. Listen, I know you can give me a little more. Just how about you come to me as opposed to me going to you, right? That, that's I the, wonder. That's I, the appreciation level of look. I Mick, don't know. I can't give you much more, but I can give you a couple hundred grand more a year. I, I'm doing the best I can. And maybe that's what it is. Of well, you could have come to me with that as opposed to me begging for it. Yeah, I don't see. I don't. I just don't know if that's even what he wanted to hear. I don't know if that's what he was trying to hear. I think it might have just simply been. I wanted to point the finger on my way out and make it clear that I'd like to stay at Cincinnati, but they couldn't do enough to keep me at this point. And they might not be able to. They might not be. That's able the to. point. It's, it's reasonable for him to think that. It's reasonable for them to think I've done enough here. I've done all I can to get I rebuild this program, put it in a much better spot than it was when I took it over. They're they're set up for future success. They're in a good spot with they're their conference because spot. they're going to keep winning in the. They AAC. upgraded facilities. They're in a air league. I they, mean, they you, got their new yeah. arena. I could see him just saying, it, "Fans aren't happy with me getting to the first round and getting this team to the tournament. Let someone else try their luck. I'm going to move on and recruit better players and a high major conference and try my luck going forward as well." I could see I, that, and I don't begrudge him that either. I don't think that's a weird thing for either side. I think that's pretty Agreed. reasonable. I think that happens at most schools. The only thing that makes this one different is the same thing that people thought made Chris Mack at Xavier different, which is that it's his school, it's his hometown, and that means something to him. And it has meant something to him, but still, you can still find a better job elsewhere. Okay. 
So let's say, though, that he'd like the Arkansas job. Or the, what happens if they don't want him? What happens if suddenly you look up and your best thing to do is sit pat again? Do we go? I guess we go through this again next offseason, right? I don't see. I, I don't think you see puts up with that. I think they need a, a, an extension with a bigger buyout if he's coming back at that point. So whatever maybe has been offered for him gets pulled back off the table. I don't know that it's that, but I think if you're UC, well, that would be a slap. If you're UC and you're either. if you're UC and you're signing to him an extension this year after all of this, mm-hmm. especially if he plays this out through the why he's going to go through Arkansas and LSU first before he agrees to sign back with you. Right. When he says it's time to sign, come back and sign. I think you make him sign a pretty big buyout, be, so you're not going to deal with this for the next three, four years. Because I think you would. I think you would too. Uh, or if if he's not going to do that, then yeah, you're probably back in the same boat of dealing with it again next year. There you go. So, so all right. So let's put put it, put it on percentage chance he's UC's coach next year. That's a, that's a tough call. I, I'm I'm going to say right now. I feel it is forty sixty. He will be UC's coach next year. I'll go slightly I'll go in favor 70, of him. Thirty that he. I may even go eighty twenty that he is. That he's coming back. I just don't see him as a fit for an SEC. I just don't. I don't know why I don't. I just don't. I see Virginia Tech more, and I know because he, he's got a relationship there. But I also. I also we, we both have heard he doesn't want that job. So yeah, if a UCLA draw, I just again. I do you just, think? Do you think he can't get the Arkansas or LSU job, or do you think he wouldn't want them? Um, I, I again, it comes up with the money part of it. I I think he'd want. Well, them. they'll pay him it's enough hard. money. They're going to pay him more money than UC can. That's there's no question about that. And LSU, look, LSU. Every hire they've made has been a a guy that's had less credentials than Mick Cronin. So you'd be hiring a guy that you've hired better credentials than probably anybody along the way. I mean, Arkansas, at one point, was a national championship contender year in and year out. They've kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, They have a crazy fan base, a rabid fan base. They have money, at least in theory. Um, But, man, you're going into a league where even if you're really good, you might be the eighth or ninth or tenth best team. Do you want want to battle that? It's a brutal job. That's the question. I, if if he is willing to look at that job, then I think he wants out. So that's that's the question. It's going to be really interesting Agreed. to see if this UCLA and Jamie Dixon deal gets done. What's Mick Cronin's next move? Does he immediately sign with UC or does he hold out to see I think what happens out. with these other jobs? I, I do think he holds up. And if that's the case, then you have to admit that he's looking to leave. I'm going still eighty twenty. He's he's UC's coach. Fair enough. All right, there we go. Let's take a look at some of the final four lines. Skinny on Saturday night, it kicks off. Kicks off. It tips off. Thank you. Six oh nine. Auburn versus Virginia. Faces off. Faces off. First pitch is volleys it up. <laughs> there you go. First pitch is six oh nine. Is that is that how you say uh, volleyball? Is that how you begin I, I, a volleyball match? I would, I would Volley think it so. up. Volley it up. Let's go. Serve it up. Serve, Serve it, up. it up. There Serve we go. Up. I'm an idiot. Auburn versus Virginia. Virginia five point favorites. The total one thirty one. What do you got? I, I'm going. I'm going. All. I think Auburn. I'm, they're my national championship pick now. Um, I, I I mean I had him going to the lead eight on, on a, I only did a bracket and I had him going to the lead eight so I liked them a lot I thought they were really really good I think they are really good um, this is such a weird matchup because the way Virginia plays defense they can probably do a job of keeping Jared Harper out of the lane but they also do a pretty good job of covering themselves up at the three point line but Auburn I don't know if Auburn can get in some transition stuff which I think they can because as much as you think that you can corral Jared Harper. Good luck, man. Good luck if a defensive rebound comes and you only say, hey, we're getting back. We're only sending one of the offenses. We're going to get four back. Okay, that's great. He's going to dribble through four of you like you're a cone. It ain't going to make any difference. Um, I'm just going with them. I think they're they're on a roll. They're playing loose. Um, they defend better than I think people give them credit for. Uh, and and 
Virginia can at times be ugly offensively. I'm, I'm going Auburn plus the points. I think they went out right. And I'll go, I'll go over the total. Virginia's shown in this tournament, it's not playing games for the most. I mean, the 53-49 was the Sweet 16 game. But they've shown they can win a game in the 70s. And I think this game gets to at least the mid to high 60s for both. And that takes it way over the total of 131. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've really liked what I've seen from Virginia on the offensive end yeah. compared to what we've seen in years past. It's a lot more ball screen continuity motion offense than some of their older slow down stuff that they were running. Um, they're shooting more threes. They're more aggressive off the bounce. They're more aggressive in transition when they get opportunities. I think this does go over that 131 number. And they have three dudes. I mean, Guy and Jerome and Hunter are dudes. Yeah, I mean, Hunter is the the highest prospect in terms of mock drafts that you're seeing right Andrew. now yeah. left in the tournament. Um, Jarrett Culver yeah, is right behind yeah. him, but, but he's the most talented player probably left in the tournament. So, yeah, they've got some guys, but... I like Auburn, too, just the way they're playing, the way they shoot the ball, the way they're attacking. I love the way Bruce Pearl coaches. I want Auburn to win to win the game Period. straight so, up. So just go up to the, go up to the teller at the, at the, when, the, when the Jack Casino Sportsbook comes up. Tell them you want to bet the money line on Auburn. Tell them you want that. And then you can take the points, too. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would do. Just trying to help you. you. Saturday at 849, Texas Tech. Is it really the 849, though, Rick? Is it really good? Can you guarantee me that tip time is going to be 849? No. Okay. That's why I love the fact they actually set that time. Just 30 minutes after, after the, game, the before, other game. Yeah, why can't you do the that? That's the court. We understand how it works. We'll keep our TV on the same channel. Exactly. We're not going to leave you for this. All right, but anyway, 849 allegedly. Two and a half point favorites are the Spartans of Michigan State. 132 is the total. One point more than the last game. Do I have to make a pick? This is hard. This one's hard. It is. Because I, I, I keep doubting Tech. I doubted him in the first round, for goodness sake. Not as half joking, but I really wasn't completely joking. I really thought in case See, I, I'm had the, a legit chance. I'm the other side. I've been doubting Michigan State the entire time. So have I. No, I have I, too. I, I, I like this Texas I, I did. I did, um, I did one bracket in a bracket pool, but I did a bunch of online ones just for the heck of it. I mixed and matched Duke with everybody in the country because I had no doubt in my mind Duke was a Final Four team. Yep. I didn't have one in every national championship on my sheet, but I had them, had them in the mix. just mixed and matched everybody yep. else with Duke because it was it was a no-brainer. I'm looking at Michigan. There's no way Michigan State beats them. No way. I don't even think Michigan State's going to get to that Elite Eight game. They have to even try to beat them. And here they are. Um, I'm going Izzo, man. He's just done it. I think he's got... He's got a guy in Cassius Winston. You've seen them have a you know two or three other guys, maybe not all together, but he's got some shot makers. He's got an inside presence. And Texas Tech, though, other than Jarrett Culver, you can't name three other names. Most people, you can't name one other. You can't name two other names other than Davidi Moretti or whatever, whatever you say his name, <laughs> David Moretti. I mean, you can't, right? Who paid attention to Texas Tech this regular season, really? I don't. I don't think a lot of people paid attention to Big Twelve teams not named Kansas. Yes, correct. But they're good. I, this isn't like some fly by night. Boy, look at this nice little. Te- they were lead eight last year. Yeah. They, they were. They beat Gonzaga fair and square. Not in some game where they shot out of their mind or Gonzaga was awful. They beat them fair and square, straight up. Now they lost most of those dudes not named Jarrett Culver, but <laughs> yes. But still, I mean, the, the Chris Beard, the last two years, he's done as well as any coach in America. No doubt. Um, and that's why he's obviously going to be the, the next big name when he decides. So I know he's probably holding out for Texas if Shaka Smart eventually is, is let go. And that's probably yeah. not maybe one more year's worth. Kind of surprised UCLA just didn't throw too. everything I, at him. I am too, to be honest with you. Now, I, does he feel... Remember when Billy Gillespie did some things at Texas A&M, right? And he was kind of the flavor of the month. Not just for Kentucky, but in the country. Boy, look at what this guy's done at A&M. 
I don't think Chris Beard is that guy because he's not. Because Billy Gillespie no. was a friggin' flaming I nut. Definitely don't think he's that guy. But you remember at the time, Billy Gillespie was a hot name, man. Yes. Not just in Kentucky, but for a lot of places. Yes, but a, a, a totally different vibe to how he went yes. about it yes. and what he had but done I always, in terms I always, of his resume. I, I always fear because he also did already did some things at UTEP too before that. Yeah. I just always fear flavor of the month guy, and I don't think Chris Beard is I don't completely. Think, I think Chris Beard's well. Past I, 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 that I do point. too, but I, I always, I always get queasy about guy who's done it for a couple of years at a place that he didn't. It's, I don't know. It just bugs oh, me. Oh, but he had success before he got to yeah, Texas I Tech. Yeah, I know. I know. I think Chris Beard can really coach. I do too. He's I'm not just doing that. He's not doing it off of just being like. Remember Billy G. The thing, big thing about him is he could text a hundred recruits on a flight right. before he got off the. He was a big recruiter. Right. He was a recruiting guy. He ended up with Dakota Uton committed to Kentucky, which is honest to God, maybe the most stunning fact about Kentucky basketball. Who was that guard they got? G.J. Valer was it Valer? What was that guard's name? Delor Valerio. G.J. Villarino. Villarino. That was him. Yeah. yeah. What, what happened to him? I'm just I, I, okay. I, I, exactly. Okay. That, yeah. That, uh, also, what was the what was the big white kid from uh, from like somewhere in Kentucky that was committed there at one point and then ended up playing for like 16 different colleges? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I thought that was Dakota. Oh, the no. kid from from uh, from Vinizolo. Vinizolo. <laughs> Vinizolo. Played at Clark County High School. Yeah, yes. great reference. And ended up going. I think he went to Western for a while. Yeah, oh yeah, he went. Well, for a while, he he didn't go anywhere for a while. He yeah. went to sixteen different schools. That's right. So he, he literally played till he was like twenty seven. I think. So those were his, his some of his recruits, right? Vinny Zala. Then he tried. To, Gwynn was was one of his guys. That, he was trying to get that, at one then point. He, then he tried to kill Jody Meeks running steps. Almost killed him. Yeah. Almost literally killed the guy. His best player. Yeah. Just I'm going to kill my best player. Who, who did he throw off the bus and try to fight at one point? Oh, oh that's right. Patrick Patterson had to fight Maybe, him to get someone yeah. back on the bus. Yeah. Ooh. That tenure was brutal. All right, wow. Chris, let's just say that Chris, Chris Beard's, Beard's not, he's not that Billy guy. G. He's not that guy. That's a good point. That was a wormhole. <laughs> yeah, it was. All right, sorry about that. All right, so anyway, I'll, I'll go Michigan State, and I'll go I'll go under. That's got Rock Fight 59-55 written all over Michigan State. I'm going another underdog. I say Texas Tech, take the money line. You don't even need the points. They'll win straight up. Um, I think this game goes under. I think this one could get ugly, could get Rock Fight. We could see score. Or are you going with me in the 50s? I think it could be in the 50s. I think it's going to be really, really ugly. Um, I'll say something like 64-60, Texas Tech wins. Okay. All right, Skinny, let's keep it with the college basketball theme here. Look a little bit nationally. Zion Williamson put on a show in the NCAA tournament as he averaged 26 points and 8.5 and rebounds while shooting 61% from the field and 41.2% 7 of 17 from three-point range. But it wasn't enough as Duke fell to Michigan State 68-67 in Sunday's Elite Eight matchup. People understandably had Zion fatigue from all the coverage he received throughout the year, but even the most cynical recognize he's at least one of the most unique players the sport has seen. My question is, what's your overall takeaway on Zion from his one year of college basketball, and what do you think his future holds? See, I didn't have Zion fatigue. I know some people did, and I get it, because it's kind of like it's, it's LeBron fatigue too, right? It's all you hear about is Zion yeah. in college basketball. LeBron and the Lakers, who are completely irrelevant in the NBA right now and have been all season long, so you did get some fatigue. Because Zion doesn't come off as a diva whatsoever. He's just playing. He's just fun. balling. He's, He's just fun. balling. I, no, I love I, – honestly – I'm not a big put a guys on a pedestal guy. I just I, I just don't. It's just it's just not my nature. But um, he was he was a he was fun to watch. And I think like I said some of it is some of it is he just he's not a diva. He just played the game. People can say, well, what a showboat. He did the 360, dude. If you can do a 360 like that, by all means, son, get a, go 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 do it. 
Like you I said, don't, you I could don't, do a 720, I think. Yeah, I, I've told people, and I, you agree with me, most 360s are half-ass 360s. You're starting to spin as you're moving, right? And you barely get there. And, okay, that's a little showy for me because you really can't pull it off. He could have done a – if he was a figure skater, and you see them do the, the whatever, the quadruple spins or whatever the hell triple you call it. Triple sal Triple sal nah, that's Double axle? Lutz. Double Lutz. D- triple Lutz. He could do a quintuple Lutz. He could do it 27 times in the air and just keep spinning. And then land very softly and gracefully. We should broadcast uh, figure skating. We'd be great at that. Um, No, I didn't have the team. I'll be honest. If he played on a team, truthfully, he should have shot the ball more, if you want to be honest with me. He should have scored more. Yeah. And he could have scored more. Right? Yeah. Even even that last set in in the Michigan State game. Looked like he was going to drive, and he realized, I don't think I can completely get there. He could probably have forced his way there, and so he kicks it out to R.J. Barrett and basically says, you go make the play. Now, I don't think that was him not taking on the moment. I think it was him realizing, I don't think I can get there, and the basketball decision to make the right one is, give it to you, because I'm going to create a driving lane for you when I cut through here. So I, I think he was a good teammate. I thought he was he – was, the thing is, he's great on the other end. Yeah, we look it, at it, he's game tremendous changing. on the other end. It, not just as a shot blocker. I mean, you're not getting around the guy. His feet move. He moves. I, just as a basketball guy, I, I loved watching. I thought he was. I thought he was. You guys, I'd never seen him. You guys had seen him. I think in recruiting. I know Chad had seen him. I think you'd seen him, and you yeah. guys were talking about this guy. And I thought, well, hey, this is a joke. I, mean, I got to see this for my. It took me one game to see it for myself, and then I was. I I, I was hooked. What do you think his role is in in the NBA? How do you think? How about superstar? <laughs> Uh, no, a three-ish, but but can probably in some circumstances play a stretch four. I I I think he can do. I think he can. Honestly, he is the quintessential point forward. You can play your offense through him. He he maybe doesn't bring it up, but he catches it at the elbow, and then he turns and faces and spread him out. Good luck. Good luck keeping him from getting where he wants to go. And then I think in certain circumstances, I think he will become a better. I mean, he's not an awful three-point. I think people see that because his shot is kind of, it's weird. As much as he elevates, he kind of shoots kind of a set shotty three. Yeah. That's I, fine. It goes in. Yeah, I think it's a, a solid uh, jumper. Like, I, I mean, it's not much of a jumper. You're right. It's no, it's not much of a jumper. Yeah. But I, I think he's a solid three-point shooter for this stage considering yes. what his game is. Um, and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. The knocks I've seen against him have been, like, I've seen some people say, and again, there's not a lot of people who don't think he's going to be great, but there are some people who are saying he's overrated and he's going to be a bust. And the knocks tend to be things like motor and energy and athleticism. I don't like when that's your best skill because it usually means you don't have real skills. I would argue when you play at his level, like, I've only seen guys like pretty much him and LeBron and maybe someone like Kenneth Fareed, who's really an under-the-radar type, not a, a great prospect, but his his skill is that he is so elite with his motor and energy and, and, and he's toughness strong and all as, that. strong as all get-out, Right, too. and athleticism. But, like, there's a few guys like that who literally made their career on just that. But I also would say, like, LeBron and Zion are in a different category when it comes to their ability to play hard for 40 minutes and be freakishly athletic and at the end. With, yeah, just do do it all and carry a team. That is a skill. When you can do it at that level, that is a skill. Now, I don't think he passes it quite like LeBron did at that age. I don't think he quite has the same feel LeBron did. I like a lot of his other skills, but I don't think he has has that feel and passing ability of LeBron. I don't think that comparison is apt. But one thing I will say is I watched him a lot. I think it was a sophomore year 
be, go, right after his sophomore year was over in AAU because he was playing with Elias Harden for Game Elite, yeah. who's now at Xavier. So I got to see him a lot then, and this was before he was super explosive. He was athletic, but he wasn't like even close to being the most explosive kid on his team or in the gym or anything like that, much less the viral social media sensation he became a year later as a senior in high school. And he reminded me a lot of a more athletic Draymond Green. He rebounded the hell out of the ball. He'd outlet pass. He'd set screens. He was unselfish. He was a great teammate. He could change the game defensively. What if he is a Draymond Green with freakish athleticism? And better ability to score. Well, yeah, better score, but some of that comes from his freakish athleticism and his body control. What if, I mean... Who wouldn't take a Draymond Green that is just absurdly athletic and more talented offensively? And I think a good teammate. I think the kid's great. I love the kid. Yeah, I think he's just a winner. I think he's going to be a winner, but a superstar. Yes. He's kind of a superstar glue guy. Multiple, yeah, multiple NBA All-Star team superstar. uh, Who's going to carry a team to a championship. I really believe that. Do you think he ends up in the the great the greats conversation i I mean i I, I do you think we start talking about him of like because i I don't think he'll ever be a 28 to 30 point a game guy although i think the potential is there i think he's always going to be 22 ish Mm -hmm. because i just don't know if it's his day like i said there are times at duke i thought go off for 40 tonight dude because you can do it well you have to wonder if he wasn't playing i know team with rj barrett right and even cam red in the nba though you're also playing with guys too no no question I'm i'm not saying that changes how it affects the nba but i do wonder on a different college team where he was more the show would he have put up 35 a game? I think he could. I think, he's had, I think he could have. I think he could have. Absolutely could have. No doubt in my mind. But I just don't, for whatever reason, I don't think he's going to be that high 20s type of scorer. But I think he's going to do so much, and he's going to be a perennial all-star, and he's going to be a, he's a winner to me. I do, too. I don't know if he makes that conversation with the Jordan, LeBron, all of Maybe that. Maybe he doesn't score but, enough to do that. Maybe. But, but he's. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yes. Agreed. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. Skinny, we also got to see breakout star Ja Morant lead Murray State over Marquette in the first round before losing to Florida State in the second round. He had a triple-double in the first round with 17 points, 16 assists, and 11 boards, and then posted 28 points while hitting 5-6 of six from three-point range against Florida State. Who would you take with the number one overall pick, Ja Morant or Zion Williamson? I love Ja Morant. I love the way he sees the floor. I mean, those assists aren't by accident. They are because he... He just has a unique way to see the floor. And he talks about it. he loves to watch basketball. And that's how he – somebody asks, where did you get your court vision? He goes, I just watched a bunch of the game, and it kind of gets a feel. And some people just have that natural feel, right? Yeah, um, and it is innate with yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, Magic, Magic Johnson, everybody, you know, the Showtime stuff, Magic Johnson's peripheral vision had to be off the freaking charts that just people don't have. And he had the ability to see people that other people – he saw ghosts, and he passed the ghosts, and he was great. Because you see some of that stuff, you're like, what are you – oh, that guy's – So come, ghosts are real. Yeah, ghosts are real, in basketball at least. John Moran is that same guy. So it's not like you know somebody's padding his assist total or he's getting lucky. I know he sees the floor. He does shoot it. I think he shoots it okay. I don't know if he's a great. I know he made five or six in that Florida State game, um, and he doesn't defend at all. Now he wouldn't be the first one to come out and play in the NBA and not defend at all. But I mean at all. Zion plays the other end of the floor too. If you're asking me, it's a no brainer. Zion by far, and I'm I'm somebody that loves John Moran. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. He is. He's a, I think he's a better version of Trey Young, who started off slowly with the with the Hawks. Has actually started to play much better. He's a better version of that. Really, I see. I think he's he reminds me more of a Russell Westbrook, but his feel seems better, and he shoots it better. 
And he's he's more willing, I think, to give it up than Ru- even though Russell averages a triple double. Russell still likes to get Russell's points. Yeah, more well, than anything else. And that's what I'm saying. His feel seems, but he yeah. seems to have a better feel of I should take over now and and be more of a ball hog versus I should set up my teammates and do all these dazzling assists. I like the Trey Young comparison because of the way Trey Young passes. Yeah. Trey Young really passes. The Trey Young shot level. selection is weird too. He's going to shoot. Well, and he can shoot the feet. hell yeah, out of it. Correct. And Ja can't shoot at that level. Yes, no, correct. Um. I could see both of these guys being all-time greats. I think Ja really has that type of potential too. But you can take away a 6'3 guard, yeah. even a freak athlete one. There are freak athletes everywhere in the NBA. He, His body type, what he does, is not something we haven't seen before. It's not a one-of-one. One of one. 16 points, 10, 10 assists a game. Which and is that'd be great. very good, but it's yeah. not it's not a guy I'm building my team completely around, though, and right? See, I think he could even be that. I think he could have okay. an incredible career, be one of the best point guards in the Dude, NBA. Sixteen and ten is a pretty good career. But I'm still not taking him over Zion no. because Zion is a one of one. We've yes. never seen another yes. Zion before. He has the chance to be that LeBron that Michael, that type of player. I know this is a I different era. I don't know that Jaw's quite there. And I know the comparison's been made between Zion and Charles Barkley. And I saw Charles Barkley in college when Charles was fat, and it, it was absurd to watch him do the things he did because nobody knew who he was at the time. Um, Zion is, is, is a better he's a better Charles Barkley. Charles is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I... I I just don't think there's any way you can pass yeah. I, on again, Zion. And I want to make sure, John Morant, watching him see the floor is fun to watch. And I could like see basketball. John Morant making a bigger impact right away I, for a yeah, team yeah. For that, in that first, I think first makes year impact, or two. But, but, but I, long term, I think Zion is the guy you have to Zion get. will be able to win without great. I mean, he's gonna. you're going to need it in the NBA. You need two or three guys, right? Maybe sometimes more. Yeah. I think Zion is able to win with less around him than Ja. I think Ja is going to need guys around him because he will make them better. He will do that. I think that's the great thing about both these guys. They both elevate their teammates. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and that's why I think I, all the great. I like do. them both, but I don't think it's. I think that's a. I, I like your question because I like the the fact you're trying to pose the question, but it's a no brainer to me. It's Zion. I would agree with you. All right, Skinny, let's go off the uh, beaten ghost here. Last we one. We don't have a ghost, Aww. but we do have some uh, pictures you might want to investigate online me? somewhere. Lauren Miranda, 25-year-old former mathematics teacher at Bellport Middle School, Long Island, was fired after a student somehow obtained an image she sent to her ex-boyfriend, Topless. So she sent pictures of herself to her ex-boyfriend, Topless, and a student got these? A student somehow got them. They don't know exactly how, but she has now filed a $3 million gender discrimination lawsuit following her dismissal uh, against the school district. Her lawyer is saying that she was wrongfully treated over the intimate image, which was sent to her then-partner, who was another teacher, at a different school. She was fired for not being a a proper role model. She says the image was contained without her consent, and there's nothing offensive about it. She says it's pure. I'm getting makeup in one hand. I'm taking a picture in the other. She had previously sent the ex-photo to her boyfriend, but was flummoxed how the student got a hold of it. Long ago, she sent her topless, unremarkable selfie to her companion, never to anyone else, her lawyer said. By unknown means, a student obtained it, the school district took possession of it, and fired her because her breasts were displayed. Um, Skinny, I think this is an old-fashioned 
Yeah. Okay. Two double things. standard, two things. right? Kids, just a reminder of this. And I'm talking to the kids out there because I'm an OG, right? I'm, I'm an old guy. Yeah. I'm talking to the kids. Kids, just be careful of the pictures you take. I'm just. It's just. A, it's a. It's a fair warning from Uncle Skinny. I disagree. To be be careful of the pictures I, you take. This woman is well within her right. No, Don't no, no, victim no. blame her, Skinny. I, I, I'm just. Just again, be careful of the pictures you take. Now, I'm. Go, I'm gonna. I got another point to this. I'm just. That's my first warning. Some just be careful of the pictures you take. Now that being said, and her point is, what if a man was what, what like a man can be topless in today's day and age where you can identify as anything? I can identify as a tree if I'd like, and I might do that one day. I may identify as a tree. I mean, what if she decides I identify myself as a man? Phil Mickelson's got bigger boobs than most women. It's a great point. I don't want to see Phil Mickelson topless, mind you. No. I mean, but is he getting fired from no. the PGA Tour or a teaching gig? No, he gets shamed, I think, if he took his shirt off on the PGA Tour. But no, I mean, no. She should not get fired for this. A, she didn't send it. Now, if she just sent it to the student, then we got an issue, right? I, I think that, that there's a line Yeah, there. that's a whole different ballgame. They frown upon that. Correct. You <laughs> don't send nitties to minors. <laughs> and rightfully so. That's a bad deal. Correct, and rightfully so. And I think she would deserve to be fired for that. But in this regard, no. I, I hope she wins her lawsuit. I think she's got a chance. Even if she's... Like, I can even see the argument from the school district if she's posing as a model and being like, I'm trying to yes. be a, okay. an Instagram influencer who posts thirst traps online. But that's not this. She did not try to get this out there. No. The the boyfriend clearly leaked this somehow, or some kids hacked the maybe an iCloud or something like that to, to steal the image. But first of all, I would like to comment. I did some research on this because I'm a good journalist. Yes. And uh, they said that the lawyer said the picture was unremarkable. Are they, are they real and spectacular? I would disagree that it's unremarkable. I think it's pretty remarkable. Okay. I think it's a nice photo. It's, so, it's so real and spectacular. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I can't comment on how real they are, but they look very good. But they're spectacular. Yeah, right? they're spectacular. Okay. And um, she... She looks very good. It's a classy photo. The mirror is fractured, so she might have bad luck, which clearly I think she did. Clearly <laughs> she did. Um, I think that was the the worst play here is that she took a picture of a broken mirror, topless. But yeah, I, I think it's absolutely absurd, and she should win this. She should win the three million dollar lawsuit. I, I heard this on my way down today, so it has to be true. But I did hear that that in in Ohio, do you know that women are allowed to go around topless? What? Yeah. In Ohio, women are allowed to go around topless. I didn't know Just that. Just everywhere? Everywhere. Allowed to go around topless. Well, I, you can do that like at your job, though. I, I don't know. Allowed to go around topless. I don't, I don't, that's what, that's what I, I heard. It has to be true. I'm trying not to name names because I don't want to. No, no, yeah, 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 but like, yeah, 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 if, so, if one of our reporters or anchors just walks through the newsroom downstairs topless, I think it's allowed. Like, I think it's allowed. They just got to roll with it? I mean, the, 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 the taste and the couth of that might not be so high. The nudie news at Local 12. Dude, you talk about a ratings explosion. Oh, my God, we would go viral. Now, that being said, Rob Braun topless, not so sure that would work. Oh, it's an FCC violation. <laughs> you can't good. do it on air. Okay, you're right. That's yeah. a good point. That's you a good point. Rob Braun could, though, because he's a man. Double standard. Double standard, and that's yeah. why she's going to win her loss. Rob Gron, great breasts. No doubt. No question. He's, pro- he's probably got perfect nipples. <laughs> I'm stopping right there. That's it. I'm done. All right, Rick, we'll be back next week with, with more. Hopefully we'll have some. Maybe we'll have a resolution to this story as well. We'll see. <laughs> Rob Gron's nipples? <laughs> no, no, no. This story. The, oh, the, okay. Yeah, thank you very much. For Rick Brewing, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us on another edition of the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.